Good morning. Uh, it's good to, be, good to be here again. Why don't we start with prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so happy that we're here together to hear your word. We pray that your word would have its perfect work in us, that we would learn it and absorb it and take it into our hearts and grow. We pray, Father, that we would apply your word. Uh, we pray that your spirit would move and do his mighty work. He would encourage us, teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There was a, a few years back, um, Jeremy and Chanette and, um, and me and uh, some other people from CBC, we did the Tough Mudder in Lake Tahoe. It was a hard, it was a hard uh, trail. It was about 12 miles. And uh, you know what? If it was... Uh, it was a lot of fun, but it did give me a lot of fodder for sermon illustrations. Uh, you know, we first went through this, this, this pool that was just filled with ice. You had to go underneath, and I said, why are we doing this? And it was so freezing. We were cold the whole day, and then we had to carry logs and then climb over walls. And then there was this one section, maybe three-quarters of a mile, where uh, we had to carry our partners, and I had to carry Jeremy, and then... Jeremy had to carry me, and I think he picked the short end of the stick on that deal. Um, when we got to the top of the hill, you know, at first I was really exhausted. We got to the top of this, it used to be a ski slope, but in the spring it was, it was this hill of torture. Right? We got up to the top, and when I looked down, then you get encouraged because I saw how far we went, right? But then after a while, you get kind of discouraged again because, man, this is long. This is long, right? You start going, and this is long. And then I remember towards the end, there was this big half pipe, this wall climb that you have to run and jump and grab the edge. Just think American Ninja Warrior, warped wall climb, okay? That's what it was like. And see, the, there's a problem here. I've got no hops, I can't jump, right? Um, I ran as fast as I can, and the edge is this way, and I, and I missed it, and I said, man, I can't do this. So I went back, and I did it again, and I ran, and I missed it. And then I went back, and I said, they're not going to let me keep doing this all day, right? And I saw Jeremy was over the wall already. So I was kind of discouraged, and I said, oh, man, I don't want to skip this obstacle. That's... That's kind of taking the easy way out, right? This guy helped Jeremy, and then I saw this guy. I mean, if I were to say this word guy, it wouldn't be a good description. This guy had huge arms, right? He was at the top, and his arms were as big as my legs. He looked like Hulk's brother, you know? He was huge. And I was just about to give up because I, I said, I can't reach that wall, right? And, and from there, he looked at me, he said, you! And I, he got my attention. Look at me. He went like this with his eyes, right? He goes, come on. And he put his hand right here. And that gave me one last, you know, have you noticed that a lot of these physical things are mostly mental? It's mostly mental, right? That gave me one last encouragement to run, right? So I ran as fast as I could, and I threw my arm up, and this behemoth of a man, right, just went like this. He just went like this and picked me up like I was a baby, and I said, yes, sir, yes, sir, right? And he put, picked me up. You see, I kind of felt like giving up, but this strange muscle-bound no-necked colossus look-alike encouraged me. You know, sometimes when you're walking with Christ, it's difficult, and you know you got to keep going, but sometimes you just need encouragement, isn't it, right? Just to keep going, just because it's, you know, you, you may want to look back and see what God has done, just for encouragement, and you just need to be reminded of the truth. You need to plant your feet in the truth to keep going. And, and this is what John is doing. He's saying he's going to start talking about qualities of a Christian that God has so worked in you that you could look back and just say, you know, God is doing this work in me. I got to keep going. 
There's no reason for me to give up. There's no reason for me to slow down. There's no reason for me to stop. John, 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24, he gives this to encourage you to keep going. In 1 John chapter 3, 19 to 24, we will know by this that we are of the truth and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 23, this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God gave this passage to you this morning to encourage you of the distinctly changed life you now live in him thereby continuing on his walk. He's going to encourage you of the work that he's already done in your life that you can depend on, that you can go forward with. In this passage, God unfolds five characteristics the true believer now has because of his saving work. There are characteristics of every believer. This is not just a litmus test of sorts, not just to say, I'm looking at this list, I'm Christian, I'm okay. It's not just a litmus test of sorts, but rather, it is meant for you to take a look at what God is doing and what God has done and to be encouraged to continue. Now, last week we learned to love in a murderous world, a hateful world, an indifferent world. We are called to love. If you recall, he says here, verse 13, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. He who does not love abides in death and he continues on of our hearts that desire and our hearts that need to keep loving because it is a, an outgrowth of what Christ has done. We are called to love, but because of the hostility of this world, we can become jaded. We can become calloused. We can just become plain tired of it all. I, I'm there when I watch the news. I watch the news so I can keep abreast of what's happening in this country and what's happening in our, our locality and so how I could apply the text of, of Scripture so that we could read through the times. But you know what? At times I get calloused. At times I get tired. I'm sick of the sin. I'm sick of the obscenities. I'm sick of it all. Sick of the hatred of God and of His Word. Sick of the shame they bring on Christ. But John turns to encourage the saints. The springboard of love and ministry and of life will be to identify how God has and is changing you and to encourage you to keep going through it. Now, these five characteristics in this text will encourage you to keep going, to keep you tender to Him and to this world, to keep you sensitive to sin, to keep you wanting to reach for Christ. The first of these characteristics to encourage you that as a believer in Christ, you have Verse 19, a clear conscience from sin. God, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe and you trust in him alone, you have this immeasurable gift of a clear conscience from sin. He says in verse 19, we will know by this that we are of the truth. To paraphrase that, he says, you will experientially know. Not just know the truth, you will experience the truth, how it is lived out in your life. You receive that truth and you live it out. And he turns and he says, well, how do you know you are of the truth? This is what Christians do. They, they shall assure our hearts before him. Now, this is an interesting phrase here. He says, we shall know by this that we are of the truth. What's the this? That we assure our hearts before him. Uh, because of what Christ has done, because of our faith in Christ, not because of any works that we have done. Okay? We don't go to God and say, you know what, I'm really sure that I'm okay. I'm really sure that I've done enough to uh, deserve your heaven. Rather than that, this assurance comes based out of the gospel, 
based out of Christ. And he says, we shall assure our heart before him. The word, therefore, assure means to persuade, appeal to, be convinced of. It, are, it is only those who are believing and walking in truth who can have assured hearts. This, brother and sister, is a wonderful, wonderful blessing that I can go to bed knowing that I am right with God. That all the sins that I have done and will do are nailed to the cross. And my heart, when I come before the very face of God, is resting in Jesus. Now it says, how does he assure our hearts before him? It says, in whatever our hearts condemn us. Now, this word there for condemn means to declare to be wrong, judged to be guilty. It denotes an accurate detection of evil in oneself to find fault with. And so what happens is in, let me take you to Romans chapter 1. Romans, Romans chapter, actually Romans chapter 2. God has given us a device. Every single person in this world has a device called this, called the conscience. And every time you violate the conscience, uh, guilt is set in. And guilt is like an alarm. If, if the best way to describe what a conscience is, is it's an alarm. Okay? The conscience is an alarm to tell you when you do wrong. Now, the conscience is said in, in the Bible, it can be warped, it can be seared. The word there for seared, it means that it can be, it can be calloused. You have to calibrate your conscience to what is truth. God has to determine what is right and wrong. But um, in the Bible, it says even unbelievers have this sense of what is right and wrong. They might not be completely there with everything that God has written in his word, but there is a sense of right and wrong. There's a sense of guilt that occurs when someone sins, right? In Romans chapter 2, he says in verse uh, 14, for when Gentiles, you can put here unbelievers, Romans chapter 2, when Gentiles who do not have the law, they didn't have the word of God, they didn't have Moses' law, do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts. What is it? Their conscience, bearing witness, and their thoughts, alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. See, God has given us this conscience to alarm us to the fact that we are not right with God. If we have not turned to Him, if we have not turned to faith. And so what people do is they stuff this feeling of guilt. They rationalize their sin. They create arguments for their sin. They create, they, they do away with God completely. They remove all kind of moral authority from the Bible. And yet, the Bible tells us that in the nights when they're alone, that there is a conscience that is screaming to them. And people drown it with alcohol, with drugs, with immoral relationships. They drown it with TV and with video games. And they drown it so they don't have to hear the alarm going off. And yet God says that alarm is designed for you to turn to Christ. Now, when you don't know Christ, when there is no sense of Christ and no sense of what he's done, that alarm is going off. But that is for unbelievers. But for believers as well, we have a conscience. And our conscience has to be calibrated to the word of God. It has to be brought back to what God causes, thinks is right and wrong. And I remember this distinctly. When I got saved, I had a, before I got saved, I had a filthy mouth. Every other word was a curse word, right? And when God saved me and changed me, all of a sudden when I heard curse words, all of a sudden in my mind now I'm, I'm thinking, that is wrong. That's not the way God would call, call me to communicate. And so I have, now my, my conscience is being calibrated to the word of God where it needs to be. And we need to be sensitive to sin. But 
the Bible says that even Christians, when they sin, there's this sense of, of uncleanness, the sense of this conscience that is riled up. And yet God says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, I'll just read it to you. If we come to him in repentance and confession, he says, let me take you there. Hebrews chapter 10. You got to see this. See, this is the part where you feel like you sin so much that God's not going to take you. Man, I, I just don't think God's going to take me. He says here in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, I love to tell people this. Notice in 22, he says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. This is the blessing of knowing Christ. He says here, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The blessing of a Christian when they know they've come to Christ, not on their own merit, but because of what Christ has done, is that now my conscience is clean. Hallelujah. I can walk in this world and know that my sins have been paid for. That I won't face judgment. That I don't have the disfavor of God on me. Not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. Here's the reason. He says, for God. And then he says, there's two different phrases, okay? For God. Go back to 1 John chapter 3. I think this is amazing. 1 John chapter 3 What is the basis that you can come before God in full confidence? What is the basis that you could come before him with a clean conscience? He says here, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Oh, I love this. I love this. First, he is greater than our heart. He is greater than our heart. Psalm 103, 12 says, well, before I go there, sometimes people feel this way. Have you ever been this? You, you may know Christ, but you don't feel very saved. Have you ever been there? You don't feel very saved. Perhaps you just sinned and you've not confessed and repented before God. You know that maybe a, a certain line of thinking is not the way you should be thinking. Or maybe you shouldn't have treated someone that way. Or you shouldn't have cut someone off that way or had those kind of words with someone like that. Maybe you're not in the word. And sometimes you feel like your sin is kind of out of God's reach. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you truly know Christ, your sin cannot compete with the grace and forgiveness in God through Jesus Christ. Some folks may even say this, you know, I can't forgive myself. You ever hear that? You ever hear yourself saying that? I can't forgive myself. You know, I could forgive them, but I can't forgive myself. That's as if to say that God gave his most precious son to die on the cross to purchase you. God made every provision for you in Christ for forgiveness. God said that Christ's sacrifice is enough, and you say essentially, no, he's not enough. I can't forgive myself. Is that not a warped pride that has a higher standard than God? Higher than the perfect sacrifice of Christ? Who are you to say what is good, O little man or little woman? The word here for he is greater than our heart is mega. God is mega bigger than your heart. Sometimes your heart is wrong, brothers and sisters. Sometimes your heart will say, well, I really sinned. I really messed up. God says in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God says in Micah chapter 7, who is like who is a God like thee who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? 
He does not retain his anger forever because Micah 7.18, he says, he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, they will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Hebrews 9 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Brother and sister, your sin is not greater than God's. You cannot outsin God. You cannot run far enough from God's reach. Do you understand? If you have messed up your life, messed up relationships, messed up things at work, messed up things in your family, if you had messed up royally, I mean royally, if you turn to Christ, God is greater than your accusing heart. Is he not? If Christ is good enough for the God of the universe, Shouldn't he be good enough for you? He also says he knows all things. You know, I was thinking, well, how is that related? How, do, how does he, he knowing all things actually help my conscience, help me live with a clean conscience? Well, we know in Psalm 94, he says, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. We know in Psalm 139 that he says, he sees my going, going in and coming out. He knows every single thought, every action that I do. But, you know, sometimes when we sin and we confess to one another or we repent to one another, we surprise folks with how sinful we are. We may say, I didn't know that about him or her. And, you know, sometimes we see that when a pastor falls who's supposed to be following, following after God, and he falls, and he's not serving in the ministry anymore, we think in our, in our heads, man, I didn't know that about him at all. I thought he was godly. I didn't know that about him at all. We are surprised. And in our flesh, sometimes we are even hesitant to confess and repent to someone when we sin, because in our sinful state, we are fearful of what that will do to our relationship. We think that if they know about us and they know everything about us and if I reveal and if I lay the cards down if, if they really look at who I am, if they are a fly on the wall and they see who I am, they're not going to like me anymore. They're not going to love me anymore. I'm risking my relationship. But guess what? Think about this. Guess what? In the case of God, he already knew you would sin in that way. And he saved you anyways. Sometimes we act as Adam and Eve in the garden, trying to cover our sin with handmade and handwoven fig leaves. God says, I already knew you would sin that way, and I sent my son for you anyways. Oh, my conscience is clear. Amen. If I do trust in Christ, my conscience is clear. The God who sees to the very depths of me, he knows all things and yet forgives me just the same. I have a clear conscience. So if you are in Christ, what John the Apostle by the Spirit is encouraging you is you have a clear conscience from sin. And if you don't have a clear conscience from sin, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that is God impressing on your heart to turn to Him. Don't ignore it. It is a God-given gift. He is pressing on your heart to turn to Him. But Christians have a clear conscience from sin. Secondly, Christians have a confident prayer life to God. Christians have a confident prayer life to God. In verses 21 to 22, he says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, related to verse 20, because we have come to know Christ, he says, we have confidence before God. 
And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Another mark or characteristic of a Christian is that he or she has a confident prayer life to God. If you receive the truth and believe the truth and live the truth of the finished gospel work of Christ, and there is evidence in your life such that you are no longer guilty before him, the Bible says you have direct access to God in prayer. This is astounding since there is no other mediator needed than Christ himself. You don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to go to a priest. You can pray directly to God because Christ has paid the price and he is the mediator. Now here is something astounding. He says we have confidence before God. We're not cowering because of our sin. You understand the correct posture if you are apart from Christ. The correct posture before God is to bow in cowering fear. Even in the flesh, even as Peter, if you remember when, when Jesus was walking in, on the water uh, or when Jesus um, put the fish in the nets, Peter said, he saw what happened. He saw the miracle that happened, that the fish came into the net. He bowed in the boat and he said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. That is the posture of man. He knows where he should be when God shows up. Isaiah says, depart from me for I am a man of unclean lips. When he sees the train of the Lord filling the temple. And yet now, there is a switch. This is wonderful. We are not to fear anymore. We are not to be scared anymore. We are not to think that when we pray to God, that he is not going to answer. It says we have confidence. The word there for confidence is an outspokenness. It is frankness. Plainness of speech. Courage. Boldness. Fearlessness. It's used in Acts chapter 4 when Peter and John were preaching. They said they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men and they were marveling. It's an attitude of openness that stems from a freedom and a lack of fear. A joyful sense of freedom, typically in the presence of high-ranking persons. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I was in the military, but I think maybe Steve, Stephen can tell you, when you're around high-ranking officers, they try and make you tremble, right? And here, the Bible says, no, you... You're his child. In fact, he wants you to come confidently knowing that he's going to move on your behalf. The Bible says that part of the cross work that Jesus accomplished is the now free access given to believers to pray to God. This is important because the way we come to God reveals what we believe about him. The way we come to God reveals whether or not we believe he's going to act. Whether or not we have faith that he's going to act on my behalf. James tells us not to ask God thinking that we won't receive. He says, you won't receive nothing, you double-faced, double-minded man, right? And yet the way that we come before God, we have a confident prayer life. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 you got to look at this text. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 4. It's a famous text. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Part of the cross work of Christ, yes, definitely the big part is forgiveness. The big part is justification. And then the initiation of sanctification that he is moving in your life. But a big part of this cross work that Jesus has done 
is now that now you have free access to God the Father. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, because now we have a different high priest. His name is Christ, right? Who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. That means he knows how it feels, okay? But one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Christ is sinless, though he has been tempted severely, right? But look at this, verse 16. Because of what Christ has done, because of the temptations he's received and not sinned, Notice he says in verse 16, therefore, here is the application. Let us draw near with confidence. Same word. Boldness. Fearlessness. To the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time. Of need, You know, sometimes I think we could get in this rut where you think that God won't answer your prayer. Or sometimes we could get in this rut where we think, man, God answers that brother's prayers. He doesn't answer my prayer because I'm not as godly as that brother. He's not going to answer mine. Oh, Christian, this door is wide open for you. This door is wide open for you to pour out everything to him. He wants to heal, hear all your tears. He wants to hear all your broken dreams. He wants to hear all of your hurts. Come to him and pray to him and know that he will not cast you out. Have confidence because the one who, there is one who has paid for your sin and he has substituted himself so that you can have free access to this throne room. Now, he says back in 1 John that if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before him, and he's setting it up now for prayer. He says, because you have confidence, because you can come to the throne of grace, and, you know, brothers and sisters, we could all grow in this. We don't take this access as much as we should. He is there. God hears all of our prayers as if there is just one of us there. Equally, if you know Christ. But we are not, we go to every single other person for help. We go to different philosophies and we go to different people and to different talk show hosts and to different psychologists and psychiatrists before we go to God for help. And God says, you have full access to me, the, the counselor of counselors. Isn't he called wonderful counselor? Right? You have full access to me, and yet we do not rest in him. Brothers and sisters, how often do you come to him? And now he says here, whatever we ask, we receive from him. And he is going to unveil, this is a normal did you check that, brothers and sisters? This is a normal reality of a Christian's life. That I receive from God my answered prayers. Now, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I don't know about that, Angelo. I don't know about that. I don't feel like I got every prayer, there's a couple requirements that God would have, right? When we pray, I, I've not received a sailboat in the harbor, right? <laughs> right? Where's my sports car? Right? See, there's a problem. And Jesus is talking about, he says, whenever, and, and you know what? If you guys ever visit a church that says, you know, name it and claim it, Here's your car. You just got to visualize it, and Jesus is going to give it to you. Run as fast as you can. Please. That is nowhere near the gospel. Jesus said, the, the, Jesus said about himself, the foxes have their dens, the birds have the nests of the air, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He was homeless, right? 
Jesus nowhere promises prosperity financially. He promises prosperity spiritually. And he promises he would give you food and shelter and to take care of his. But that's it. And I have blessings eternal in heaven. But if there is a church, if there is a preacher, if there is some crazy guy on, on, on the TV or in the radio that says you just got to name it and claim it, you know, God, sin it means poverty. You must not really believe God because you're poor. You better run. That is nowhere in scripture. That's false and it's a lie from the devil. What does he mean, whatever we ask, we receive from him? In the book of John, the gospel of John, the apostle John outlines this in three different verses. In John chapter 14, notice what he says here in John chapter 14. Remember, same author, okay? And John is citing himself. Whatever you ask, you'll receive. I want to live there. Do you want to live there? Whatever you ask, you will receive. Man, is that a promise, Jesus? It is. And if you know Christ, it is a regular occurrence. But there's a couple things. John chapter 14 and verse 13. Notice he says here, Whatever you ask, notice he says verse 12, 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Jesus is saying, you, Christians, you will do greater things than me. Wow, that's incredible. Jesus is not saying you're going to raise the dead. Jesus is not saying you're going to um, heal diseases. Jesus is saying you will have a greater exposure of the gospel. You will reach farther than I have, humanly speaking. And then he says, well, this is how it's going to happen. And brothers and sisters, uh, if you want to share the gospel, if you want to reach your family, if you want to reach your friends, and you want to reach your neighbors, it really shows by the amount of prayer you have. If you are not praying, you don't really want that to occur. That's the truth. Okay. And now he says here in Verse 13, whatever you ask, notice, here's the stipulation, in my name, okay? He says, first, you need to ask in my name. That's not, that's not a code that you put in Jesus' name in the back of your prayer. You, you pray whatever, I want a sports car in Jesus' name. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying, in accordance to my reputation, in accordance to who I am, the name encompasses all that you are. When I look at Ben Jr. And, I, I, and you say the name Ben, it's not just his new haircut that I think of, right? It's not just his, that he's the father of Lance and Lex. I think of all that Ben is. And now Jesus is saying the same thing. He says, if you ask in my name in accordance to who I am, with what I desire, with what I want to occur, you will receive it. Now see, the crazy thing is, Christians think they could, say, they could ask whatever, but not in his name. I want a 10-bedroom house in the hills of Carlsbad. I want a, you know what I'm saying? They start to create, and they're not asking in Jesus' name. Now notice, he goes on to outline it. He says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Huh, I want answered prayer. Do you want answered prayer, brothers and sisters? Do you want to live there? Do you want to have God answer your prayers every day? He says, you ask in my name, so that, why? The Father may be glorified in the Son. Then he repeats, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what is the Son desirous of answering? What are the prayers that God wants to answer? What are the prayers that Christ wants to answer in your life right now in Encinitas, Carlsbad, Oceanside, right? Vista. I don't want to miss Vista, right? What are the prayers? He, the prayers are the prayers that are in my name in accordance to what I want and that give my Father God the glory. Brothers and sisters, are your prayers pointed and directed to the glory of the Father, or merely for your convenience. God, I pray for a parking spot so that I don't have to walk 200 feet to get into Walmart. 
That's my prayer. No. Why don't you pray like this? God, help me so that when I'm at Walmart and I'm speaking to the clerk who's checking me out, help me to say something gracious and maybe perhaps talk to them as in that short time of the gospel. May you be glorified. This is fun if you live here. Brothers and sisters, this is a blast if you live here. It's thrilling if you live here. It is fulfilling if you live here. I, I get this wonderful chance because, uh, because I have confidence. Amen? You have confidence. We wouldn't have done anything without confidence in an answering God. Amen? And, I, and it's neat. Bring your family in this. Let them see this. Let them see God answer. When you pray, bring it in accordance with His glory. So that when we are praying, our family gets together as often as we can. And before we meet other people, we say, God, give us, give us gospel opportunities. Open hearts. Open minds. Make our hearts aligned with your will. We want to do your will. Because, you know, God is more interested and more uh, pro his glory than you are. He wants to glorify himself through you. And when you bring your family in that and you pray for that, when it happens, God gets the glory. And you say, God did that. God did that. See, I think the problem is, the reason why we're not in this area of whatever you ask, you will receive, is because we're not praying for his glory. We pray, to, or we pray for our own personal comforts and we pray for our own personal needs rather than the extension of his kingdom. He says it again, John 15, 7. Notice he says in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's what Jesus is promising. Do you remain? That word for abide means to remain. To stay. Are you letting his word dictate the operations of your heart? And are you living that out? If in fact you are. And your mind is, is focused in the name of God. I will answer. Notice uh, John chapter 16 verse 23. He says it again. John 16 tw 23. In that day, you will question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything, again, in my name, he will give it to you. Verse 24, why aren't we living it? Look at verse 24. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name, and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Oh, we love to hear answered prayers. If you want to join a prayer group, we've got one uh, on Fridays for men, we meet at Jason's house. If you want to come, it's a kind of a gladiator prayer meeting. If you want to come, it's at 6 a.m. You guys are welcome to come. If you want to start a prayer meeting, talk to me. I'd love to, uh, love to uh, be part of that and help you out with that and kind of direct you and guide you. It is wonderful. Do you want this? I want to see things that are impossible. God, God is moving it. He wants to answer that. And then... He says, because we keep his commandments. So if you are in Christ, you have a clear conscience from sin. Secondly, you have a confident prayer life to God. Thirdly, you have a focused faith in Christ, a focused faith in Christ. He says, and this is the commandment. To believe in Christ is actually a commandment. It's not just a gift. It's actually a commandment. In John chapter 3, he says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What John is doing is he, parale he parallels obedience and belief in Christ. Obedience and belief. If you don't believe, you don't obey. If you do believe, you are obeying. And he says that believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here is another aspect or characteristic of, of the Christian is they have a focused faith in Christ. 
They keep believing in Jesus. You know it is he who has walked with you. When you go through a difficult time, at the end of the day, you look back and you say, it was always Christ. It was always Jesus. He's the one who strengthened me. He's the one who empowered me. You know, he is the only difference that separates you from walking a life of sin without God. And then he says, and love one another just as he commanded us. It is an outward expression. So if you're in Christ, you have a clear conscience from sin. You have a confident prayer life to God. You have a focused faith in Christ. Fourthly, you have an obedient will to the word. You have an obedient will to the word. Verse 24. Verse 24, going back to 1 John. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. The one who keeps his commandments. One of the effects of someone who is truly saved, they have an obedient will. Christ not only saved you from the punishment of sin, he has also broken the back of sin's domination over you. Your will is now not your own. You know that. You know you can't continue in sin. You know you can't continue without Christ. You know you can't continue without his word, without his people. You know you have to make changes in your life. Why? Because the dominion of sin in your life has been broken. That doesn't mean that you won't sin from time to time and ask for forgiveness and confess and repent. But what it does mean is I am set free. I am free now, right? And so now I am free to obey. In fact, if you have a, a genuine relationship with God, if you have a heart of obedience that demonstrates itself in a righteous life that is growing from glory to glory, you're no longer enslaved to the world. You have been set free and you now obey him. This is all over 1 John. But lastly, you have a, if you're in Christ, this is what should encourage you. You have a clear conscience from sin. You have a confident prayer life to God. You have a focused faith in Christ, and you have an obedient will to the word. And lastly, you enjoy the remaining presence of the Spirit. The remaining presence of the Spirit. And this is the sweet walking with Jesus. This is the sweetness. And we know by this that he abides in us, and by the Spirit he has given us. The Bible says in John chapter 14, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. That is the promise of the Holy Spirit. But let me turn, turn, uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The Spirit helps us pray. The Spirit helps us walk. The Spirit mediates the very presence of Christ. That's why I know Christ is with me. He mediates his presence. But here's a, I love this verse because it shows the sweetness of the Spirit's work. Notice he says in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 15 and 16. Okay. And we'll finish with this. You have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What occurs is when you get saved, the spirit of God indwells in you, okay, and you naturally, you naturally know you can cry out to your father. You cry out, Abba, that just means Papa, right? How do you know? Verse 16, this is amazing and astounding. Okay? The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Here's what he's saying. It's not just the abstract notion that God is my Father. It's not just the truth that is written in the text. But notice what he says here very carefully in verse 16. He says, the Spirit himself, that is the Holy Spirit, testifies or bears witness with our spirit. That is the immaterial person of you. So every Christian is being testified to by the Holy Spirit. And what is he telling you? Okay. 
The truth is absolutely in the word of God. But he takes the truth and he impresses it into you in etern internally. Such that not only do you know the truth, but you sense it. I could even say you feel it. I know I'm a child of God. I know he is my father. I can have all the facts and I could argue with you apologetically. But you know what? At the end of the day, I know the spirit testifies with me. I am his child. This is not your job to tell someone else that they're saved. This is the spirit's job. He does that. And when he does it, he grabs onto them. And he brings them home. I'm not even concerned about that. I know the spirit works. When he saves, he changes all the time. And he brings them. Amen? He does the work. Now, a Christian, have you been in sin? You can have a clear conscience from sin. Go back to him. Do you feel like He's not answering your prayers. You can have a confident prayer life to God. You feel like you've been distracted by many things. You can have a focused faith in Christ. You feel like you've been disobedient. You can have an obedient will to the word. Do you feel like you're alone? You can have the eternal God as your friend and master. Mediated. The mediated presence of Christ. By the Holy Spirit. Go forth Christian. Keep going. Keep going. Father in heaven. We are so grateful. Of this work that you've done. Sometimes we need to stop and think of it. Because we forget how far you've brought us. May we look at this. Mountain. This little bit of mountain. Called the Christian pilgrimage. And look how far we've gone because of you. Thank you that you're changing us. Oh God, thank you for changing a foul sinner like me. My mouth, my thoughts, my actions. You have changed me and you're continually changing me. Keep doing that to my brothers and sisters. And Lord, if there are those here who don't know this, who are not sure if they are saved, I pray that they would repent and believe on Christ and trust in him alone for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.